0: Hi there, welcome back. Thanks for 188k. And tonight we're going to listen to some some history, ancient history, Sumerian tablets, and Boaz mysteries. Um, This was just streamed four days ago. Enki has spoken the return of wisdom and the struggle of mankind
1: the Nibiru Council for further deliberation. Within the council, Enlil and the councillors fervently implored Anu to retain his kingship, expressing doubts regarding Alalu's credibility and motives. Ea, the esteemed scientist and Anu's first-born son,
2: addressed the Nibiru
1: Council. Despite being Anu's eldest offspring, Ea ranked second in line for succession to the throne. Enlil, Anu's foremost son, held the primary position in succession ...due to his mother, Antu, being both Anu's royal spouse and his half-sister. According to the Nibiru succession rules, this granted Enlil the title of Anu's foremost son... ...superseding Ea in the line of succession. Ea, the firstborn son of Anu, though not the foremost, had married Damkina, Alalu's daughter. With his unique position as Alalu's son-in-law and Anu's firstborn, Ea emerged as a suitable intermediary between both parties... The members of the council attentively listened as Ea addressed the imminent threat and promising offer put forth by Alalu. Ea presented a proposal. He would personally verify the existence of gold on earth. If he could obtain the precious gold dust from earth's resources and utilize it as a shield to preserve Nibiru's atmosphere, he suggested allowing Alalu to rule as king on earth. As for the kingship of Nibiru, Ea proposed a wrestling match between Alalu and Anu. He further suggested embarking on a chariot-like journey, a spacecraft voyage to Earth using water as a means of propulsion rather than fire, as Alalu had employed nuclear missiles to navigate the asteroid belt. Upon reaching Earth, Ea intended to acquire the valuable gold from its waters, which would then be sent to Nibiru. Anu endorsed Ea's plan and entrusted him with the mission to Earth. Accompanying Ea were pilot Anzu and a group of 50 male astronauts. Enlil, however, seethed with frustration as Ea had preempted the heroic mission to Earth. Enki, as Ea was also known, embarked on his voyage to Earth in his spacecraft. Along the way, he consumed his water supply, crucial for propulsion, to blast through the asteroid belt. He made a stop on Mars to replenish his water from a lake before proceeding towards Earth, acknowledging that the fate of Nibiru rested upon the availability of its gold. Upon reaching Earth, The astronauts landed in the Persian Gulf, guided ashore by Alalu. Ea established a settlement named Eridu at the head of the Persian Gulf. From there he extracted some gold and conducted further tests for its presence across the planet with his pilot, Abgal. Orders from Anu beamed to Earth, commanding Ea to return Alalu's ship to Nibiru with as much gold as possible. As Ea and Abgal explored the ship, they discovered seven nuclear missiles which they discreetly concealed in a cave. Anzu, the interplanetary pilot, arrived to prepare Alalu's rocket for the return journey to Nibiru. However, upon noticing the absence of the missiles, Anzu confronted Ea, demanding their return. Ea responded, ''The use of weapons is forbidden. Anzu, you are now replaced as an interplanetary pilot since we have pledged not to carry nukes in space. Your attitude compels me to relieve you of your duties. Stay here on Earth.'' Ea entrusted the task of piloting Alalu's ship back to Nibiru, to Abgal. With water cannons as the sole means of navigation through the asteroid belt, Ea programmed a return route. Abgal embarked on the spacecraft, carrying sample gold to test its effectiveness as an atmospheric shield on Nibiru. Anu, the king of Nibiru, dispatched his firstborn son, Ea, to Earth to handle the situation with his father-in-law, Alalu. Ea concealed Alalu's nuclear weapons on Earth and sent Anzu back to Nibiru with samples of gold. On Nibiru, scientists processed the gold, transforming it into fine dust, and prepared to launch it skyward. The testing and refinement process took several orbits of Nibiru around the sun. Rockets were used to carry the dust to the heavens, and crystal beams dispersed it. However, when Nibiru approached the sun, the golden dust was affected by the sun's rays, Diminishing its healing properties in the atmosphere. The breach in the atmosphere returned, prompting Anu to send Abgal back to Earth in search of more gold. During Abgal's return to Earth, he found only a small yield of gold, with Ea's mining efforts limited to the Gulf region. Disappointed by the results, Ea sent Abgal back to Nibiru with this meager supply of gold. Ea, while prospecting, made a significant discovery of vast gold veins in Southeast Africa specifically in the area known as Abzu. Excited by his findings, he relayed the news to Nibiru. Upon hearing Eya's report about the abundance of gold veins, Anu and Enlil on Nibiru received the information. Enlil, feeling resentful that Eya was leading the Earth mission, demanded substantial proof of the gold reserves. Eya had previously given false hope, suggesting that enough gold could be obtained from Earth's waters to save Nibiru's atmosphere. Anu, tired of Enlil's constant complaints about Ea, gave in and appointed Enlil to take charge on Earth. Enlil was instructed to assess Ea's findings thoroughly. Upon arriving on Earth, Enlil communicated his initial doubts, but ultimately concluded that Earth likely possessed enough gold to save Nibiru's atmosphere. However, the inherent rivalry between Ea and Enlil, which still persists on Earth today, resurfaced once again. King Anu of Nibiru, made the decision to send his dynastic heir, Enlil, to Earth to assume rulership and assess Ea's claim regarding the vast gold resources that could be sent back to Nibiru to save its atmosphere. Enlil, communicating from Earth to Nibiru, urged his father Anu to affirm his authority over Ea, based on the law of succession. Despite Ea being the eldest son, Enlil argued that his lineage through their shared half-sister Antu gave him precedence, Enlil also implored Anu to personally come to earth and address the situation with Alalu who believed he was the rightful king on earth and also claimed authority over Nibiru. Around 416,000 years ago, Anu arrived on earth and conducted a drawing of lots alongside Ea and Enlil. During this drawing, Anu decreed that one lot would grant rulership over Nibiru, another would bestow rule over earth and control of the Persian Gulf headquarters. And the final lot would assign responsibility for mining operations in Africa and sea transportation. The division of tasks was determined by the drawing of lots. Anu returned to Nibiru to maintain his position on the throne. Enlil was allocated the Eden, Mesopotamia, and appointed as the lord of command, tasked with establishing additional settlements and overseeing their leaders until they reached the boundaries of the sea. Ea, on the other hand, was granted dominion over the seas and oceans, with authority over the lands beyond the water's boundaries, particularly in the Abzu, southeastern Africa, where he was to procure gold through his ingenuity. Enlil's first act as ruler was to grant Enki his initial settlement, Eridu, located on the shores of the Persian Gulf, with the right to possess it indefinitely. After drawing lots, Anu, Enlil and Enki each received their assigned roles. Anu acquired the lot for ruling over Nibiru, while Enlil was granted command over Earth. Ia, also known as Enki, assumed responsibility for the seas, mining, and the territories beyond the Straits of Gibraltar on Earth. Shortly after the division of rule between Anu and his sons, a confrontation ensued between Anu and Alalu. They engaged in a wrestling match, with Alalu boldly asserting his claim to mastery over Earth and his right to Nibiru's throne, based on his discovery of gold and previous promises made. Anu emerged victorious by pressing his foot onto Alalu's chest, declaring his kingship. However, as Anu lifted his foot, Alalu swiftly bit off and consumed Anu's malehood, inflicting a severe injury. Enlil restrained Alalu, while Ea provided first aid to Anu. Anu expressed his grim prognosis for Alalu, stating that he would slowly perish due to Anu's seed. As a result, Anu condemned the ailing Alalu to spend his remaining days on Mars. During Anu's return journey to Nibiru, he made a stop at Mars, leaving Alalu with provisions and tools. Anzu, a relative of Alalu and the former interplanetary pilot, was tasked with caring for the dying Alalu.
0: Upon arriving back
1: on Nibiru, Anu shared his plans with the Council regarding the search for gold throughout the solar system. He ordered the establishment of continuous freight rockets between Earth and Nibiru. With waystations on Mars, Earth's moon, other planets, and satellites in between.
0: Hi, <phone rings> What's up, you want to snack, too? What happens?
1: His fate was irreversible. Ninma managed to revive Anzu. In honor of Alalu, the one who discovered the gold that could potentially save Nibiru, Ninma and Anzu carved his image upon a grand mountain rock. They depicted him wearing an eagle's helmet, with his face uncovered. In a later Hittite version of the tale, Anu appointed Kumabi, Alalu's grandson, as his cupbearer, mirroring how Alalu had once appointed Anu to the same role. Anu brought Kumabi to earth to keep a watchful eye on him. However, in this version, it was Kumabi who bit Anu's penis. In retaliation, Anu forced Kumabi to swallow poisonous stones, but Kumabi managed to spit them out. Kumabi paid a visit to Eya, also known as Enki, who was his sister's husband on Earth. However, Enlil's younger son, Adad or Teshub, incited Kumabi while on Earth. Adad boasted about the privileges of knowledge and power that he and his older brother Ninurta enjoyed, but were denied to Kumabi. Eya took Kumabi in a rocket to Nibiru, intending to seek mediation from Lama, the ancestor of both Alalu's and Anu's lineages. However, Lama, realizing that Eya's mission lacked the support of Enlil's sons, unleashed lightning winds against Ea's spacecraft, forcing him and Kumabi to return to Earth. Kumabi returned to the Mars base and stirred unrest among the Igigi, the astronauts. They attacked Enlil and his people on Earth, prompting 70 of Enlil's men to retaliate by flying aircraft against Kumabi and the Agiji, They managed to defeat Kumabi, but Ulikumi, Kumabi's son from one of the female astronauts, rallied the Ajiji once again. Taking on the role of Anzu in the Sumerian account, Ulikumi led the Agiji in battle 380,000 years ago. The Enlilite champions, Ninurta and Adad, ultimately triumphed over Ulikumi and the Agiji when they launched an assault on the Enlilite's whirlbirds. Mohen identifies the conflicts between Alalu and his descendants as the foundation for later Indian tales, such as the Indira versus Vrita battle, and even Greek tales of the Titan versus God War. Indira Vrita and Titan Zeus draw inspiration from the Anzu Ninurta and Adad stories that the Nibirans dictated to the Sumerians. In another context, King Anu of Nibiru sent his daughter Ninmar, along with female health officers, to Earth to assist the astronauts involved in gold mining. During their journey, they made a stop on Mars, where they discovered Alalu and Anzu dead. Ninma managed to revive Anzu and assigned him 20 astronauts to help establish the first way station for the gold freighters on Mars. Ea or Enki expressed his perception of Ninma, his beloved sister, as the chief medical officer for the Earth mission. He also revealed his view of his rival, their half-brother Enlil, who served as the commander of the earth project Enki Enlil and Ninmah were the offspring of Anu born to different mothers Enki the firstborn son had a concubine as his mother Enlil born to Antu Anu's spouse became the legal heir Ninmah, born to another concubine was a half-sister to the two half-brothers renowned for her beauty wisdom and quick learning Enki also known as Ea, no, like was chosen by Anu to marry Ninmar, making him the legal successor. However, Ninmar became enamored with Enlil, the charismatic commander, and they engaged in a seductive relationship. This rivalry between Ea and Enlil, which still impacts Earth, is evident as Ea refers to the connection between Ninmar and Enlil as seduction. Ninmar bore a son, Ninurta, from Enlil's seed. This angered Anu, who forbade Ninmar from ever becoming a spouse. As a punishment, Eir abandoned his intended bride, and instead he married Damkina, a princess and Alalu's daughter. They had a son named Marduk. Ninmar entrusted Anzu with 20 of the accompanying astronauts to Earth, and tasked him with constructing the first-way station for the gold freighters on Mars. As we resume our exploration of Ninma's journey to Earth, we find ourselves amidst a series of dramatic events and complex relationships. From her time on Mars to her encounter with Enlil and the subsequent turn of events, Ninma's story takes intriguing twists and turns. In this retelling, we delve into the emotional struggles, betrayals, and eventual reconciliations that shape the narrative. Seeds of Hope and Unrequited Love. Upon her arrival on Earth, Ninma unveils a remarkable discovery to Enlil and Ea Seeds that bear the potential for a euphoric elixir. Enlil, captivated by Ninma's presence, ...takes her to his dwelling in the Cedar Forest, expressing his love and desire for her. However, despite their intimate encounter, Enlil refrains from impregnating Ninma. Promising her a healing city and the arrival of their son Ninurta, Enlil's actions strain their relationship when he takes Sud, an assistant from Nibiru, causing Ninma's detachment. The rocketed journey, Princess Ninma leads her contingent of female health officers, embarking from Nibiru to Mars where she establishes a gold transfer station with Anzu. Subsequently, they make their way to Eridu, situated at the head of the Persian Gulf, in preparation for their mission on Earth. Enlil's failed seduction and banishment. Enlil, compelled by his unrequited love for Ninmah, becomes despondent and watches Sud, Ninmar's alluring assistant, as she bathes with other women in his garden. Seeking solace and revenge, Enlil offers Sud an elixir made from the seeds brought by Ninma. The ensuing events lead to Enlil's punishment and banishment from the cities by the Assembly of the Seven Who Judge, with Abgal as his pilot. The betrayal and hidden weapons. Under the guise of exile in Africa, Abgal, who once aided Enki in concealing Alalu's nuclear missiles, reveals their secret location to Enlil. Abgal's actions mark a betrayal against Enki, aligning himself with Enlil's cause. Enlil learns that this exile provides him with the opportunity to regain dominion over Earth, armed with the hidden weapons believed to be secure, reconciliation, and the birth of Nana Sin. Meanwhile, Sud finds herself pregnant as a result of Enlil's actions. Enki, along with the tribunal, approaches Sud with a proposal. If she were to marry Enlil as his official spouse, would she accept? Sud agrees, and in a remarkable turn of events, Enlil receives forgiveness from the tribunal, And even Ninma. Enlil and Sud unite in marriage, with Sud assuming the name Ninti. She gives birth to Nana Sin, the first Nibiran royal born on earth. Conclusion, Ninma's journey is fraught with complex relationships, betrayals and unexpected reconciliations. From Enlil's unrequited love to the banishment and subsequent revelations, the tale carries a sense of emotional intensity. Ultimately, through forgiveness and the birth of Nana Sin, a new chapter begins for these powerful beings on earth. The story serves as a testament to the intricate dynamics and enduring resilience within the ancient mythologies that continue to captivate our imaginations. When Ninma intervened once more, Enki made the decision to send them to Nibiru, his home planet, to retrieve his wife, Damkina, and their son, Maduk. Together with Damkina and the children she bore him on earth, Enki established his clan consisting of Marduk's half-brothers who were born on earth, Nurgle, Gibil, Ningishjidda Thoth, and Dumuzi, along with their descendants. Marduk, Enki's eldest son, was the grandson of Alalu. When Alalu claimed the Nibiran throne, he arranged for his daughter Damkina to marry Enki-Ea, the son of Anu. It was agreed among Alalu, Anu, and Marduk that they would eventually ascend as rulers of Nibiru. Thus Marduk, the offspring of Enki and Damkina, was destined to be the heir to the Nibiran throne. However, Anu deposed and condemned Alalu, subsequently sending Enki, Ninmar, and Enlil to Earth. On Earth, Enki and Enlil established their own lineages as powerful groups of patrilineally related kin vied for power within the gold dust operation. Enlil, together with his wife sud produced offspring including Nana sin and Ishkur-slash-Adad-slash-Teshub. These sons along with Enlil's eldest son, Ninurta, born out of his illicit relationship with Ninmar, became entangled in the struggles between the Enkiites and Enlil's faction. Ninurta defeats Anzu and the astronaut corps. Anu of Nibiru's two sons, Enlil, commander of Earth operations, and Enki, lord of the seas and chief of mines, build rival lineages on Earth as astronauts mine gold in SE Africa. Some 400,000 years ago, Enlil established seven mission centers, Sipar the spaceport, Nippur, mission control, Badibira, the metallurgical center, and Shurupak, the medical center. Anzu commanded 300 Nibirans on Mars base and in the shuttle service. His men, the Agiji, rocketed gold from Mesopotamia, where Enki's ships brought it from Africa. Anzu's men on Mars transferred the gold to spaceships bound for Nibiru. On Nibiru, Scientists powdered the gold and seeded it into the air. Slowly was the breach in the Heaven's healing. Mission Control, Nipper the Agiji, led by Anzu, demanded Enlil grant them better working conditions, more elixir from the fruit Ninma grew and a rest facility on Earth. Anu beamed orders from Nibiru for Anzu to go to Enlil on Earth, where Enlil would show Anzu the entire mining operation so he'd understand why the Agiji must persevere. When Anzu arrived at Nippur, Enlil's capital, he found Enlil reluctant to cooperate. Enlil's reluctance to receive Anzu reflected the challenge posed by the Agigi's demands, and especially by the leadership of Anzu relative to the executed Alalu. Enlil insisted he, not Anzu, gave orders to the astronauts. Enlil believed he had authority over the entire Earth operation. Anzu and the astronauts should obey, not challenge him. Enki, however, persuaded Enlil to go ahead and explain the gold mining, refining and transport systems to Anzu. Our father, King Anu, said Enki, says to convince Anzu to keep his men on the job. So Enlil admitted Anzu to his chambers, but when Enlil removed his clothes and set down the key to his control room, Anzu stole the key. Anzu then slipped into the control room and stole the computer crystals that ran the spaceport and the astronaut cities in Mesopotamia. He forced Eya's pilot, Abgal, to take him to the spaceport, There, Anzu's men declared him king of Earth and Mars. He shut down vital services at headquarters, Nibruki, and cut communication between Earth and Nibiru. In a spectacular air battle, Ninurta, Enlil and Ninma's son, shoots Anzu down. Ninurta then freed Abgal, captured Anzu, and retrieved the crystals. The esteemed council known as the Seven Who Judged, comprising Ia Enki, Damkina Ninki, Marduk Ra, Nana Sin, Enlil Yahweh, Ninma, and Ninurta issued a verdict to execute Anzu, employing a lethal ray as the means. It has been suggested that Nana, Enlil's legal heir, and the son of his legitimate spouse, played a significant role in the affair, possibly being the driving force behind Anzu's actions. However, Nana was not subjected to execution, but rather exiled from Ur. After Ninurta, Enlil's firstborn triumphed over the Agiji rebellion and executed their leader, Anzu. All the Nibiran leaders, including Nana, pledged their allegiance to Ninurta as Enlil's successor on Earth. Previously, Ninurta had only been recognized as Enlil's successor on Nibiru, while Nana held the position of Enlil's successor on Earth, as Enlil's son with Sud. With Ninurta now assuming the title of Enlil's foremost warrior, He enforced Enlil's authority over the entire gold extraction, processing, and transportation system between Earth and Nibiru. Marduk, however, showed sympathy towards the grievances of the Agiji that had led to their revolt. In response, Enlil commanded Marduk, saying, All right, Marduk, go to Mars and assume command over the astronauts. Ensure their unwavering obedience to me. On Mars, bury Anzu, improve conditions, and restore morale among the Agiji. It is suggested by Morhan's account that Ea's alliance with Damkina, Alalu's daughter, and their son, Marduk, was a calculated part of the scheme. Anzu, who was related to Alalu, was granted access to Enlil's inner sanctuary for energy source crystals, vital computer chips, orbital data panels, and communication control mechanisms between Earth, Nibiru, and Mars, all with the connivance of Ea. Ia proposed that entertaining Anzu would serve as a temporary measure to appease the Egiji's demands. Ishmael Ningishzida had previously pointed out that in the Lost Book of Enki's version of the Yegiji revolt, Anzu's role corresponded to Nana's role as the rightful heir on Earth, being Enlil's son from his half sister and legal spouse, Sud. Nana's claim posed a challenge to Ninurta, Enlil's firstborn and designated heir on Nibiru in terms of succeeding Enlil's command over Earth. Similarly, in The Wars of Gods and Men, Anzu, the leader of the revolt, is depicted as a descendant of Alalu, albeit in this account, he is an orphan who was adopted by the Mars service, rather than the pilot who transported Ea to Earth and remained on Mars to perish alongside Alalu. Both Nana and Ea stood to benefit if Anzu had successfully overthrown Ninurta. However, it was Nana, not Ea, who faced exile in the aftermath of the Aghiji Rebellion. Anthropologists would recognize Enki's description as reflective of a classical segmentary patrilineal, agnatic, lineage system. Within such segmentary patrilineages, collateral lines stemming from different mothers form alliances with other royal patrilineages. The Ea lineage, particularly the Marduk line within Ea's lineage, Allies itself with the Alalu clan to exert influence against the Enlilitis within the Anu clan. In anthropological terms, Marduk's line represents a branch linked to the Alalu clan. Matrifiliated alliances serve to secure external allies for lineages as they vie for authority within their respective Patriclans.
0: What? That's it? Fuck. Other people's comments, okay. So what was it about the volcanoes on Nibiru that kept its atmosphere reliable and why did it stop? Did the Nibiruans repair their atmosphere with the gold? Doesn't it have to be replenished? What if everyone on Nibiru is dead because the atmosphere was vanquished? Great question. Very possible that life on Nibiru is underground is tough. I have reason to believe Centauri beasts inhabited by our red and brown dwarfs friends. They abhor BS. Hmm. They're still very much alive. They mined gold from earth for almost half a million years and have only been seemingly gone for a couple thousands. The Anunnaki are the ancient gods of every culture, even the Elohim of the Bible. I was always missing gold on Earth. Tons. I just wondered that too. So did they repair their atmosphere? Did, did they succeed? I heard like in one of these um, podcasts that uh, it was a crash. Uh, you know, when the gold was being transported to Nibiru. Um, so do they uh, periodically come back and get some more golds to repair their atmosphere? They tried to wipe us out. Anki and the flood, 9,000... 800 BC, Kingdoms of Samaria, season four, complete. Boaz Mysteries. 1.1 million views posted four months ago. Oh, uh, Mysteries on YouTube channel.
3: The start. following Sumerian texts are some of the most fascinating ever deciphered regarding Enki and the Flood. Ryan Morhen has pioneered this research with his grandfather George Morhen, the curator of the Morhen collection in Liechtenstein. It reads as follows. After the deluge, I will return the Sumerian lands beyond the oceans. So did Ninota proclaim this. Nanna, Enlil's firstborn on Earth, has a peculiar wish. He wishes for the deluge to survive not in Earth's skies, but on the moon. Enki arched his eyebrow. Enlil, though perplexed, gave his approval. Ishkur, the youngest son of Enlil, has decided to remain on Earth with his father. It was decided that Nanna's earth-born children, Utu and Inanna, would remain. Enki and Ninki chose to remain, and Earth did not abandon their decision. They announced it with pride. Igigi and Sapanit cried out, I will not abandon. Marduk's response was one of anger. One by one, Enki's other sons declared their intention to remain. Nergal and Gibil, Ninogal and Ningishzida, and finally, Demuzi. When all eyes were on Ninma, she proclaimed with pride, My life's work is here. I will not abandon the human beings I created. Her words infuriated the Anunnaki of Dikiki, who inquired about the fate of the earthlings. Let the inhabitants of the earth perish for their abominations, declared Enlil. Enki exclaimed to Enlil, We have created a marvellous being. It must have been due to our efforts. Enlil responded with his own shouted words. From the beginning, each choice you made was correct. You granted primitive workers procreation and endowed them with knowledge. You hold the powers of the All-Creator in your hands. You subsequently sinned, even by abominations. Adapa. You conceived by fornication, you gave by understanding his line. You took his offspring to the heavens and imparted them with our knowledge. Every rule you have broken, every command you have disregarded. A brother was murdered because of you, by a civilized earthling brother, because Marduk, your son, the Igigi, intermarried with earthlings, as did he. Who is lordly from Nibiru, and who owns the earth? Enough, enough. Stop listening to me. These outrages cannot continue. Now that a disaster caused by an unknowable fate has been decreed, allow what must occur. Thus did Enlil vehemently proclaim that all leaders solemnly swear to allow events to transpire following Enlil's demands. Ninurta was the first to take the oath of silence. Others on Enlil's side followed. Nergal, one of Enki's sons, was the first to take the oath, followed by the other. I bow to your command, Marduk said to Enlil. But what value does swearing have? If Igigi's spouses abandon them, will fear not spread among the inhabitants of Earth? Ninmar was in tears, and she whispered the words of the oath. Enlil regarded his sibling Enki. It is the king and council's desire. He addressed him with the following phrase. Why will you swear me to secrecy? Enki's brother Enlil asked. You made the decision. It is a commandment on earth. I can't stop the floodwaters, and I can't save the masses of earthlings. Therefore, to what oath do you wish to bind me? inquired Enki's brother. To let everything transpire as if predetermined by fate, let it be known as Enlil's decision, and let Enlil alone bear the responsibility forever. Enki treated all pronounced identically. Enki then left the assembly, accompanied by Marduk. With immediate commands, Enliling the assembly's call to order resulted in assigning tasks and adopting resolutions. Places of assembly are designated, equipment is gathered, and chariots are assigned to those who will depart and remain. Returning citizens of Nibiru were the first to depart. They boarded the celestial vessels while embracing and arm-locking in both happiness and sorrow. One by one, the Sipa vehicles roared into the air. Initially, those left behind travelled without incident. The screams were first audible, then muffled. After the completion of the launches toward Nibiru, Marduk and the Igigi with earthling spouses took their turns. Marduk gathered them all at the landing place and gave them a choice. With him, Sapanit, two sons and the daughters, Talamu, where disaster awaited, or returned to Nibiru with him, Sapanit, two sons and the daughters or, to find refuge from the deluge, dispersed to remote mountainous regions on earth. Enlil then considered the survivors and assigned them chariots in groups. Ninurta to the mountainous regions beyond the oceans. Enlil to report on the rumblings of the earth. The White Land assigned Nergal and Eshkigal the duty of keeping an eye on Enlil. Enlil tasked Ishgur with defending against an onslaught of earthlings. Install and fortify a barrier and a bolt to prevent access. Sipar, the place of the celestial chariots, was the focal point of all preparations. The tablets of destiny from Nibru Ki were transferred to Sipar, Enlil creating a temporary bond between heaven and earth. Enki Enlil, his brother, then dressed him, saying, However, if the catastrophe survives, everything that transpired must be remembered. Let us safely bury record tablets in Sipar deep within the earth, so that what has been accomplished from one planet to another will be discovered in the coming days. The words of Enki's brother were received with approval. In the golden chests were kept M.E.s and other tablets. In Sipa, they are interred for posterity in the depths of the earth. Thus prepared, the leaders awaited the departure signal. In its great circuit, the approach of Nibiru was closely monitored. Enki's sister, Ninmar, addressed him during that period of anxious waiting, and Enki told her that Enlil had lost focus due to his preoccupation with humans and all other forms of life. Other living creatures, some of which we recognize from Nibiru and the majority from Earth, will perish when the tidal wave of water sweeps over the land. Let us, you and I, preserve their life-giving essences and extract their vitality for safekeeping. Ninma, who gave life to Enki's words, said, I will do it in Shuruba, and you will do it with Apsu's living creatures. So to Enki she said, Enki and Ninmar took on a difficult task while the others sat idly by. Ninmar was assisted in Shurubak by some of her female assistants. Enki was assisted by Ningish Zeta in the Abzu at the Ancient House of Life. The collected male and female essences and life eggs were preserved in pairs of each species in Shurubak and Abzu. The living species must recombine for the duration of the Earth's circuit. At that time Ninurta sent word. The earth's tremors are ominous. At that time Nergal and Arishkigal sent word. The white land is shaken. The Anunnaki congregated at Sipa in anticipation of the day of the deluge. A summary of the Enki dream deluge tablet. Enki dreams that the mysterious messenger appears. Enki is tasked with saving humanity via his son, Ziusudra. Enki manipulates Ziusudra to construct a submarine. A navigator arrives on board with the seeds of life from Earth. As Nibiru approaches, the white land ice sheets begins to slide. The resulting tsunami floods the planet with water. The remaining Anunnaki lament the disaster as they orbit the Earth. The waters recede. The boat of Ziyusudra rests on Mount Salvation. Enlil discovers Enki's duplicity while falling into a whirlwind. Enki persuades Enlil that it was predestined by the All-Creator. The surviving landing platform serves as a temporary base of operations. In a creation chamber, plants and animals are created. Gold is discovered in abundance in the lands beyond the seas. Ancient lands are the site of the establishment of new space facilities. They consist of two manufactured mounds and a lion-shaped carving. Ninmar proposes a peace plan to end the escalating conflict. The Enki Dream Tablet The Anunnaki congregated at Sipa in anticipation of the Day of the Deluge. Lord Enki had a dream vision when anticipation was mounting while he was asleep in his quarters. Enki recognized him as Galzu when he approached him. In his right hand he held a stylus for engraving. He held a gleaming lapis lazuli tablet in his left hand. And as he approached Enki's bed and was able to stand, Galzu said, Your accusations against Enlil were unjustified, for he spoke only the truth and the decision that will be known as Enlil's decision was not made by him, but by fate. The fate of the earthlings is now in your hands, as they will inherit. Bring your son Ziusudra without causing him to break his oath, and let the impending catastrophe be revealed. A boat that can withstand a watery avalanche, a submersible one, of which I am displaying an example on this tablet. Permit him access to save himself and his family. This is the will of the all-powerful creator. And Gozu, in the dream vision, drew an image with the stylus on the tablet and placed it by the side of Enki's bed. Then the image faded, the dream vision ended, and Enki awoke with a shiver. Enki remained in his bed for some time, pondering the significance of his dream vision with awe. What omen did it hold? Then, as he got out of bed, the tablet was there. What he had witnessed physically at his bedside was merely a dream. Lord Enki grasped the tablet with hands trembling. On the tablet, he observed a design of an oddly shaped boat. The tablet's edge measurement markings indicated the dimensions of the boat. Lord Enki hurriedly dispatched his envoys at dawn, filled with awe and the desire to find gazu To him I must speak, so he advised them. By evening, everyone had returned and reported to Enki that no one had been able to locate gazu and that he had long since returned to Nibiru. Enki was especially baffled by the mystery and its portent, which he endeavoured to decipher Despite his inability to solve the mystery, the message was clear. That night, Enki went to the reed, but not where Zyusutra was sleeping. Not having broken the oath, Lord Enki addressed the hut's wall instead of Zyusutra. Wake up, wake up! Enki addressed the reed wall. He spoke from behind the reed screen. A dreadful storm will ravage all settlements and cities. In my words, please pay close attention to my directives and adhere. Enki spoke to Ziusudra from behind the read screen as the words roused him. Read hut, read hut. The human race and its descendants will perish. This is the final decision by Anu, Enlil and Ninmar as determined by Enlil's assembly. Now, please pay close attention to what I'm saying and my message. Abandon your home, construct a boat, forego possessions, and save a life. The design and dimensions of the boat you must construct are depicted on a tablet that I will leave by the hut's wall. Ensure the entire boat is covered. The sun must not be visible from within. To survive a wet avalanche, the boat must be able to flip and roll. The tackle and pitch must be solid and tight to repel water. Construct the boat in seven days and invite your family to join you. Food and drinking water pile up on the boat, and even domesticated animals bring something. Then, on the appointed day, you will be given a signal. A water-savvy boating guide will be assigned to you, and on that day you must board the boat and close its hatch securely. A massive deluge from the south will devastate lands and life. Your boat will be torn from its moorings and tossed about. The boat's captain will lead you to a safe harbour. Only through you will the germ of civilization endure." Ziusudra was dumbfounded when Enki's voice ceased, and he fell to his knees, exclaiming, "'My lord, I have heard your voice. Reveal your face, my lord!' he exclaimed. "'I have not spoken to you, Ziusudra. I have spoken to the reed wall. As Enki explained, I am bound by Enlil's decree and the oath that all Anunnaki swore. If you see my face, you will indeed die. Now Reed Shack, heed my words. My Lord Enki has annoyed Lord Enlil. I'm sailing to Enki's home in the Abzu. Maybe Enlil will be appeased. The boat's purpose... A closely guarded Anunnaki secret must be protected. When the citizens ask, you will respond. A period of silence followed. Ziusudra emerged from the barrier of reeds. In the moonlight, he saw and picked up a lapis lazuli tablet. It was depicted as a boat with notches indicating its dimensions. Ziusudra was the wisest of all civilized men. He comprehended what he had heard he proclaimed to the citizens Lord Enlil was displeased with Lord Enki my master and as a result he was hostile towards me I will no longer reside in this city or enter the Eden instead I will sail to the Abzu the domain of Lord Enki in a boat that must be constructed quickly I will depart from this place as a result the Lord Enlil's wrath will abate hardships will cease and the Lord Enlil's blessings will shower upon you in the future. People gathered in the vicinity of Ziusudra as the morning was still young. They encouraged one another to construct the boat for him as quickly as possible. Children transported bitumen from the marshes, while elders transported boatwood. As the woodworkers hammered the planks together, the bitumen melted, like Ziusudra, in a pot. He sealed the interior and exterior of the boat with bitumen. As depicted on the tablet, the boat was completed on the fifth day. The townspeople, eager to see Ziusutra depart, brought food and water to the boat. Their food was taken from them. They were in a hurry to appease Enlil. Additionally, four-legged animals were driven into the boat while field birds flew in independently. Ziusudra, his spouse, and his sons set sail on the boat. Their wives and children also accompanied them. Anyone who wishes to visit the residence of Lord Enki is welcome. Thus Ziusudra declared to the gathered crowd. Imagining Enlil's abundance, only a few artisans responded to the call. Ninogal, lord of the great waters, boarded the ship on the sixth day son of Enki, he was chosen as the ship's navigator. He held a cedarwood box in his hands and kept it by his side in the boat. It contained the life essences and life eggs of living creatures, which the lords Enki and Ninmar had gathered, from Enlil's wrath to be concealed, so that life could be resurrected if the earth was willing. Inagal explained to Ziasutra that every beast in the boat was concealed in pairs. With Ninagal and Ziusudra in the boat, the arrival of the seventh day was now expected. This is the account of the deluge that swept the earth, how the Anunnaki escaped and how Ziusudra survived in the boat. The deluge was predicted to occur in Shah's 121 year old year. In the tenth Shah of Ziusudra's life, the deluge was approaching and an avalanche loomed in the constellation of the lion. The earth rumbled and groaned in agony for several days before the deluge. Nibiru was visible in the heavens as a bright star for several nights before the catastrophe. There was darkness during the day, and the moon was consumed by a monster at night. The earth began to tremble because of an unknown force. In the light of dawn, a dark cloud appeared on the horizon. the light of the morning faded as if death's shadow had been concealed. Then there was a thunderclap and lightning illuminated the sky. Depart! Depart! Utu gave Anunnaki the signal. The Anunnaki were elevated to the heavens while crouched in the heavenly ships. The bright eruptions of Ninagal could be seen from 18 leagues away in Shurubak. Button up! Closure of the hatch! Ninagal yelled towards Yasutra. They lowered the trap door concealed by the hatch. The boat was completely enclosed and watertight, but a ray of light was able to penetrate the interior. That unforgettable day, the deluge began with a roar. The earth's foundation shook in the white land at the earth's centre. The ice sheet then slid off its foundations with the sound of a thousand thunderclaps. It was drawn away by Nibiru's unseen net force and crashed into the South Sea. It was causing one ice sheet to collide with another. The white land surface was crumbling like a cracked eggshell. A tsunami appeared out of nowhere and the sky turned into a wall of water. At the centre of the planet, an unprecedented storm began to rage. Its winds propelled the wall of water and the tidal wave was spreading northward. The wall of rushing water reached the Apsu lands from the north. It travelled from there to Edin's settled lands. When the tidal wave reached the sea wall, Shurubakarai. arrived. The boat of Ziyasutra was dislodged from its moorings by a tidal wave which tossed it about like an abyss of water and swallowed it. The boat remained stable despite being wholly submerged. Not a single drop of water entered. People defeated the storm's wave in a bloody battle. The Anunnaki celestial ships were circling the earth. No one but his fellow man could see, as the ground had vanished and only water remained. Everything that was once on the ground was washed away by them.
2: Point. Remained stable despite being wholly submerged. Not a single drop of water entered. Of People defeated the storm wave in a bloody battle. The Anunnaki celestial
3: ships were circling the earth. No one but his fellow ma- Away by the mighty waters. By the end of the day, the watery wall had engulfed the mountains. They squatted, squeezing into the compartments and pressing against the out.
0: During the deluge, the
2: Anunnaki circled the earth in their celestial ships. Ninma, resembling A woman in labour cried out from the celestial ship where she was,
3: My work is comparable to drowned dragonflies in a pond. All life has been eradicated by the crashing sea wave. Thus Ninmar wept and wailed. Inanna, who was with her, also wept and lamented. Everything that once lived there is now clay. Thus did Ninmar and Inanna weep. They cried to alleviate their emotions. In those days, the Anunnaki aboard the other celestial vessels were humbled by the sight of unbridled fury, a force greater than their own. They were famished for the fruits of the planet and thirsty for fermented elixir. Unfortunately, clay's time has passed. As a result of the massive tidal wave that engulfed the earth, the planet was submerged. This is what the Anunnaki said to one another the heavens' drains opened and precipitation descended upon the earth. The waters from above and the waters of the great below were mixed for seven days. When the water wall reached its limit, the assault ceased. However, the rain continued for an additional forty days and nights. The Anunnaki looked down from their perches and saw a sea of water where once there had been dry land. And where mountains had once reached the heavens, their summits now resembled islands in the ocean, and everything on land that wasn't alive in the avalanche of water perished. Then, as in the beginning, their basins' waters were collected. The water level gradually decreased as it fluctuated day by day. It was a lovely day with a light breeze. Then, forty days after the worldwide deluge, the rains ceased. After forty days, the boat's hatch opened, revealing Zeusudra's location for the survey. The boat was bobbing on a vast ocean, with no other signs of life. All living things, including humans, have been eradicated from the earth's surface. We are among the few survivors, but there is no dry land to step on. So lamented Zeusudra to his relatives as he sat down and wept. Ninogal directed the boat toward the Twin Peaks of Arata at Enki's command. He constructed a sail for her and steered the vessel toward Mount Salvation. Ziyasudra's impatience led to the release of the birds on board. He sent them to confirm the existence of dry land and surviving vegetation. Both the swallow and the raven he released returned to the boat. He released a dove, which returned with a tree branch. Now Zeusudra was aware that dry land had emerged from the ocean. A few days later the boat by the rocks was captured. The flood is over and we have reached the Mount of Salvation. Ninagal therefore informed Zeusutra. Zeusudra emerged from the boat after the watertight hatch was opened. The sky was clear, the sun shone and a light breeze blew. He urgently summoned his wife and children. Let us praise the Lord Enki. Let us give thanks to him. Ziusudra addressed them. He used the stones gathered from his sons to construct an altar. He sacrificed an unblemished ewe lamb and a ewe lamb to Enki on his altar. Then he lit a fire on the altar and added fragrant incense. At the time Enlil said to Enki from his celestial boat, Let us descend in whirlwinds from the celestial boats upon the peak of Arata to assess the situation and determine what should be done. While the others circled the earth in their celestial vessels, Enlil and Enki descended upon the summit of Arata in whirlwinds. The two brothers met with a smile, their arms interlocked in happiness. Enlil was then perplexed by the aroma of fire and roasting meat. Which is it? his sibling yelled, who has survived the flood. Let us investigate. Enki responded with humility. They flew their whirlwinds over to the opposite peak for Rata. They observed Ziusudra's boat and landed close to the altar he had constructed. Enlil's rage knew no bounds when he saw Ninagal among the survivors. Everyone on earth had to perish He yelled angrily at Enki, and charged him with the intent to kill him with his bare
0: hands.
3: (laughs) My son, he is no mere mortal. He is. According to Ziusudra, Enki cried out. Enlil hesitated for a brief moment. You lied under oath. Toward Enki he yelled. I addressed a reed wall, not Ziusudra. Enki told Enlil about the dream vision. Ninurta and Ninma had already landed in their whirlwinds upon Ninagal's notification. Ninurta and Ninma were not offended by the events described to them. The all-powerful creator desires humanity's survival. Ninurta therefore informed his father. Ninmar touched her crystal necklace, a gift from Anu, and swore the annihilation of humanity shall never be repeated. Enlil took them by the hands of Zeusutra and Emzara, his wife, and blessed them. Procreation and multiplication will replenish the earth. Thus ended the ancient era. After the confrontation at Arata, the deluge's waters continued to recede and the face of the earth gradually emerged from beneath the waves. This is the account of how the planet's survival was restored And how a new source of gold and other earthlings beyond the oceans were found. The mountain regions were largely undamaged, but the valley.
0: Hi there. Welcome back. Thanks for 188k. And tonight we're going to listen to some. some History, ancient history, Sumerian tablets and Boaz mysteries. Um. This was just streamed four days ago, and he has spoken the return of wisdom, and the struggle of mankind.
1: The Nibiru Council for further deliberation. Within the Council, Enlil and the councilors fervently implored Anu to retain his kingship, expressing doubts regarding Alalu's credibility and motives. Ia, the esteemed scientist and Anu's firstborn son,
2: addressed days, the Nibiru
1: yeah. Council. Despite being Anu's eldest offspring. Ea ranked second in line for succession to the throne. Enlil, Anu's foremost son, held the primary position in succession due to his mother, Antu, being both Anu's royal spouse and his half-sister. According to the Nibiru succession rules, this granted Enlil the title of Anu's foremost son, superseding Ea in the line of succession. Ea, the firstborn son of Anu, though not the foremost, had married Damkina, Alalu's daughter. With his unique position as Alalu's son-in-law and Anu's firstborn, Ea emerged as a suitable intermediary between both parties. The members of the council attentively listened as Ea addressed the imminent threat and promising offer put forth by Alalu. Ea presented a proposal. He would personally verify the existence of gold on Earth. If he could obtain the precious gold dust from Earth's resources and utilize it as a shield to preserve Nibiru's atmosphere he suggested allowing Alalu to rule as king on Earth. As for the kingship of Nibiru, Ea proposed a wrestling match between Alalu and Anu. He further suggested embarking on a chariot-like journey, a spacecraft voyage to Earth using water as a means of propulsion rather than fire, as Alalu had employed nuclear missiles to navigate the asteroid belt. Upon reaching Earth, Ea intended to acquire the valuable gold from its waters, which would then be sent to Nibiru. Anu endorsed Ea's plan and entrusted him with the mission to Earth. Accompanying Ea were pilot Anzu and a group of 50 male astronauts. Enlil, however, seethed with frustration as Ea had preempted the heroic mission to Earth. Enki, as Ea was also known, embarked on his voyage to Earth in his spacecraft. Along the way, he consumed his water supply, crucial for propulsion, to blast through the asteroid belt. He made a stop on Mars to replenish his water from a lake before proceeding towards Earth, acknowledging that the fate of Nibiru rested upon the availability of its gold. Upon reaching Earth, the astronauts landed in the Persian Gulf, guided ashore by Alalu. Iyer established a settlement named Eridu at the head of the Persian Gulf. From there, he extracted some gold and conducted further tests for its presence across the planet with his pilot, Abgal. Orders from Anu beamed to Earth, commanding Ea to return Alalu's ship to Nibiru with as much gold as possible. As Ea and Abgal explored the ship, they discovered seven nuclear missiles, which they discreetly concealed in a cave. Anzu, the interplanetary pilot, arrived to prepare Alalu's rocket for the return journey to Nibiru. However, upon noticing the absence of the missiles, Anzu confronted Ea, demanding their return. Ea responded, The use of weapons is forbidden. Anzu, you are now replaced as an interplanetary pilot since we have pledged not to carry nukes in space. Your attitude compels me to relieve you of your duties. Stay here on Earth. Ea entrusted the task of piloting Alalu's ship back to Nibiru to Abgal. With water cannons as the sole means of navigation through the asteroid belt, Ea programmed a return route. Abgal embarked on the spacecraft, carrying sample gold to test its effectiveness as an atmospheric shield on Nibiru. Anu, the king of Nibiru, dispatched his firstborn son, Ea, to Earth to handle the situation with his father-in-law, Alalu. Ea concealed Alalu's nuclear weapons on Earth and sent Anzu back to Nibiru with samples of gold. On Nibiru, scientists processed the gold, transforming it into fine dust and prepared to launch it skyward. The testing and refinement process took several orbits of Nibiru around the sun Rockets were used to carry the dust to the heavens, and crystal beams dispersed it. However, when Nibiru approached the sun, the golden dust was affected by the sun's rays, diminishing its healing properties in the atmosphere. The breach in the atmosphere returned, prompting Anu to send Abgal back to Earth in search of more gold. During Abgal's return to Earth, he found only a small yield of gold, with Ea's mining efforts limited to the Gulf region. Disappointed by the results, Ea sent Abgal back to Nibiru with this meagre supply of gold. Ea, while prospecting, made a significant discovery of vast gold veins in Southeast Africa, specifically in the area known as Abzu. Excited by his findings, he relayed the news to Nibiru. Upon hearing Ea's report about the abundance of gold veins, Anu and Enlil on Nibiru received the information. Enlil, feeling resentful that Ea was leading the Earth mission, demanded substantial proof of the gold reserves. Ea had previously given false hope, suggesting that enough gold could be obtained from Earth's waters to save Nibiru's atmosphere. Anu, tired of Enlil's constant complaints about Ea, gave in and appointed Enlil to take charge on Earth. Enlil was instructed to assess Ea's findings thoroughly. Upon arriving on Earth, Enlil communicated his initial doubts, but ultimately concluded that Earth likely possessed enough gold to save Nibiru's atmosphere. However, the inherent rivalry between Ea and Enlil, which still persists on Earth today, resurfaced once again. King Anu of Nibiru made the decision to send his dynastic heir, Enlil, to Earth to assume rulership and assess Ea's claim regarding the vast gold resources that could be sent back to Nibiru to save its atmosphere. Enlil, communicating from Earth to Nibiru, urged his father, Anu, to affirm his authority over Ei, based on the law of succession. Despite Iei being the eldest son, Enlil argued that his lineage through their shared half-sister, Antu, gave him precedence. Enlil also implored Anu to personally come to Earth and address the situation with Alalu, who believed he was the rightful king on Earth, and also claimed authority over Nibiru. Around 416,000 years ago, Anu arrived on Earth ...and conducted a drawing of lots alongside Ea and Enlil. During this drawing, Anu decreed that one lot would grant rulership over Nibiru... ...another would bestow rule over earth and control of the Persian Gulf headquarters... ...and the final lot would assign responsibility for mining operations in Africa and sea transportation. The division of tasks was determined by the drawing of lots. Anu returned to Nibiru to maintain his position on the throne. Enlil was allocated the Eden... Mesopotamia, and appointed as the Lord of Command, tasked with establishing additional settlements and overseeing their leaders until they reached the boundaries of the sea. Ea, on the other hand, was granted dominion over the seas and oceans, with authority over the lands beyond the water's boundaries, particularly in the Abzu, southeastern Africa, where he was to procure gold through his ingenuity. Enlil's first act as ruler was to grant Enki his initial settlement, Eridu, located on the shores of the Persian Gulf, with the right to possess it indefinitely. After drawing lots, Anu, Enlil and Enki each received their assigned roles. Anu acquired the lot for ruling over Nibiru, while Enlil was granted command over Earth. Ea, also known as Enki, assumed responsibility for the seas, mining and the territories beyond the Straits of Gibraltar on Earth. Shortly after the division of rule between Anu and his sons, A confrontation ensued between Anu and Alalu. They engaged in a wrestling match, with Alalu boldly asserting his claim to mastery over earth and his right to Nibiru's throne, based on his discovery of gold and previous promises made. Anu emerged victorious by pressing his foot onto Alalu's chest, declaring his kingship. However, as Anu lifted his foot, Alalu swiftly bit off and consumed Anu's malehood, inflicting a severe injury. Enlil restrained Alalu, while Ea provided first aid to Anu. Anu expressed his grim prognosis for Alalu, stating that he would slowly perish due to Anu's seed. As a result, Anu condemned the ailing Alalu to spend his remaining days on Mars. During Anu's return journey to Nibiru, he made a stop at Mars, leaving Alalu with provisions and tools. Anzu, a relative of Alalu and the former interplanetary pilot, Was tasked with caring for the dying Anu.
0: Upon arriving back
1: on Nibiru, Anu shared his plans with the council regarding the search for gold throughout the solar system. He ordered the establishment of continuous freight rockets between Earth and Nibiru, with waystations on Mars, Earth's moon, other planets, and satellites in between. Hi, Mister Me. What's up? You
0: want a snack too?
1: What happens? His fate was irreversible. Ninma managed to revive Anzu. In honor of Alalu, the one who discovered the gold that could potentially save Nibiru, Ninma and Anzu carved his image upon a grand mountain rock. They depicted him wearing an eagle's helmet, with his face uncovered. In a later Hittite version of the tale, Anu appointed Kumarbi, Alalu's grandson, as his cupbearer, mirroring how Alalu had once appointed Anu to the same role. Anu brought Kumabi to Earth to keep a watchful eye on him. However, in this version, it was Kumabi who bit Anu's penis. In retaliation, Anu forced Kumabi to swallow poisonous stones, but Kumabi managed to spit them out. Kumabi paid a visit to Ea, also known as Enki, who was his sister's husband on Earth. However, Enlil's younger son, Adad or Teshub, incited Kumabi while on Earth. Adad boasted about the privileges of knowledge and power that he and his older brother Ninurta enjoyed, but were denied to Kumabi. Ea took Kumabi in a rocket to Nibiru, intending to seek mediation from Lama, the ancestor of both Alalu's and Anu's lineages. However, Lama, realizing that Ea's mission lacked the support of Enlil's sons, unleashed lightning winds against Ea's spacecraft, forcing him and Kumabi to return to Earth. Kumabi returned to the Mars base and stirred unrest among the Igigi, the astronauts. They attacked Enlil and his people on Earth, prompting 70 of Enlil's men to retaliate by flying aircraft against Kumabi and the Igigi. They managed to defeat Kumabi, but Ulikumi, Kumabi's son from one of the female astronauts, rallied the Igigi once again. Taking on the role of Anzu in the Sumerian account, Ulikumi led the Igigi in battle 380,000 years ago. The Enlilite champions, Ninurta and Adad, ultimately triumphed over Ulikumi and the Igigi when they launched an assault on the Enlilite's whirlbirds. Mohen identifies the conflicts between Alalu and his descendants as the foundation for later Indian tales, such as the Indira versus Vrita battle, and even Greek tales of the Titan versus God War. Indira, Vrita, and Titan Zeus draw inspiration from the Anzu-Ninurta and Adad stories that the Nibirans dictated to the Sumerians. In another context, King Anu of Nibiru sent his daughter Ninma, along with female health officers, to Earth to assist the astronauts involved in gold mining. During their journey, they made a stop on Mars, where they discovered Alalu and Anzu dead. Ninmar managed to revive Anzu and assigned him 20 astronauts to help establish the first way station for the gold freighters on Mars. Ea or Enki, expressed his perception of Ninma, his beloved sister, as the chief medical officer for the Earth mission. He also revealed his view of his rival, their half-brother Enlil, who served as the commander of the Earth project. Enki, Enlil, and Ninma were the offspring of Anu, born to different mothers. Enki, the firstborn son, had a concubine as his mother. Enlil, born to Antu, Anu's spouse, became the legal heir. Ninma born to another concubine, was a half-sister to the two half-brothers, renowned for her beauty, wisdom, and quick learning. Enki, also known as Ea, was chosen by Anu to marry Ninmar, making him the legal successor. However, Ninmar became enamored with Enlil, the charismatic commander, and they engaged in a seductive relationship. This rivalry between Ea and Enlil, which still impacts Earth, is evident as Ea refers to the connection between Ninmah and Enlil as seduction. Ninmar bore a son Ninurta from Enlil Seed. This angered Anu, who forbade Ninmar from ever becoming a spouse. As a punishment, Ea abandoned his intended bride, and instead he married Damkina, a princess and Alalu's daughter. They had a son named Marduk. Ninmar entrusted Anzu with twenty of the accompanying astronauts to Earth, and tasked him with constructing the first-way station for the gold freighters on Mars. As we resume our exploration of Ninma's journey to Earth, we find ourselves amidst a series of dramatic events and complex relationships. From her time on Mars to her encounter with Enlil and the subsequent turn of events, Ninma's story takes intriguing twists and turns. In this retelling, we delve into the emotional struggles, betrayals, and eventual reconciliations that shape the narrative. Seeds of hope and unrequited love. Upon her arrival on Earth, Ninma unveils a remarkable discovery to Enlil and Eocedes that bear the potential for a euphoric elixir. Enlil, captivated by Ninma's presence, takes her to his dwelling in the cedar forest, expressing his love and desire for her. However, despite their intimate encounter, Enlil refrains from impregnating Ninma. Promising her a healing city and the arrival of their son Ninurta, Enlil's actions strain their relationship when he takes Sud, an assistant from Nibiru, causing Ninmar's detachment. The rocketed journey, Princess Ninmar leads her contingent of female health officers, embarking from Nibiru to Mars, where she establishes a gold transfer station with Anzu. Subsequently, they make their way to Eridu, situated at the head of the Persian Gulf, in preparation for their mission on Earth. Enlil's failed seduction and banishment. Enlil, compelled by his unrequited love for Ninmar, becomes despondent, and watches Sud, Ninma's alluring assistant, as she bathes with other women in his garden. Seeking solace and revenge, Enlil offers Sud an elixir made from the seeds brought by Ninma. The ensuing events lead to Enlil's punishment and banishment from the cities by the assembly of the seven who judge, with Abgal as his pilot. The betrayal and hidden weapons. Under the guise of exile in Africa, Abgal, who once aided Enki in concealing Alalu's nuclear missiles, ...reveals their secret location to Enlil. Abgal's actions mark a betrayal against Enki, aligning himself with Enlil's cause. Enlil learns that this exile provides him with the opportunity to regain dominion over Earth... ...armed with the hidden weapons believed to be secure, reconciliation and the birth of Nana Sin. Meanwhile, Sud finds herself pregnant as a result of Enlil's actions. Enki, along with the tribunal, approaches Sud with a proposal. If she were to marry Enlil as his official spouse, would she accept? Sud agrees, and in a remarkable turn of events, Enlil receives forgiveness from the tribunal, and even Ninma. Enlil and Sud unite in marriage, with Sud assuming the name Ninti. She gives birth to Nana Sin, the first Nibiran royal born on Earth. Conclusion. Ninma's journey is fraught with complex relationships, betrayals, and unexpected reconciliations. From Enlil's unrequited love to the banishment and subsequent revelations, the tale carries a sense of emotional intensity. Ultimately, through forgiveness and the birth of Nana Sin, a new chapter begins for these powerful beings on Earth. The story serves as a testament to the intricate dynamics and enduring resilience within the ancient mythologies that continue to captivate our imaginations. When Ninma intervened once more, Enki made the decision to send them to Nibiru, his home planet, to retrieve his wife Damkina and their son Maduk. Together with Damkina and the children she bore him on Earth, Enki established his clan, consisting of Marduk's half-brothers who were born on Earth, Nergal, Gibil, Ningishjidda Thoth, and Dumuzi, along with their descendants. Marduk, Enki's eldest son, was the grandson of Alalu. When Alalu claimed the Nibiran throne, he arranged for his daughter Damkina to marry Enki Ea, the son of Anu. It was agreed among Alalu, Anu and Marduk that they would eventually ascend as rulers of Nibiru. Thus Marduk, the offspring of Enki and Damkina, was destined to be the heir to the Nibiran throne. However, Anu deposed and condemned Alalu, subsequently sending Enki, Ninmar and Enlil to earth. On earth, Enki and Enlil established their own lineages as powerful groups of patrilineally related kin vied for power within the gold dust operation. Enlil, together with his wife Sud Ninti, produced offspring including Nana Sin and Ishkur slash Adad slash Teshub. These sons, along with Enlil's eldest son, Ninurta, born out of his illicit relationship with Ninmar, became entangled in the struggles between the Enkiites and Enlil's faction. Ninurta defeats Anzu and the astronaut corps, Anu of Nibiru's two sons, Enlil, Commander of Earth Operations, and Enki, Lord of the Seas and Chief of Mines, build rival lineages on Earth as astronauts mine gold in SE Africa. Some 400,000 years ago, Enlil established seven mission centers, Sipar, the spaceport, Nippur, Mission Control, Badibira, the metallurgical center, and Shurupak, the medical center. Anzu commanded 300 Nibirans on Mars base and in the shuttle service. His men, the Agiji, rocketed gold from Mesopotamia, where Enki's ships brought it from Africa. Anzu's men on Mars transferred the gold to spaceships bound for Nibiru. On Nibiru, scientists powdered the gold and seeded it into the air. Slowly was the breach in the heavens healing. Mission control, Nippur the Agiji, led by Anzu, demanded Enlil grant them better working conditions, more elixir from the fruit Ninma grew, and a rest facility on Earth. Anu beamed orders from Nibiru for Anzu to go to Enlil on Earth, where Enlil would show Anzu the entire mining operation, so he'd understand why the Agiji must persevere. When Anzu arrived at Nippur, Enlil's capital, he found Enlil reluctant to cooperate. Enlil's reluctance to receive Anzu reflected the challenge posed by the Agiji's demands and especially by the leadership of Anzu, relative to the executed Alalu. Enlil insisted he, not Anzu, gave orders to the astronauts. Enlil believed he had authority over the entire Earth operation. Anzu and the astronauts should obey, not challenge him. Enki, however, persuaded Enlil to go ahead and explain the gold mining, refining and transport systems to Anzu. Our father, King Anu, said Enki, says to convince Anzu to keep his men on the job. So Enlil admitted Anzu to his chambers. But when Enlil removed his clothes and set down the key to his control room, Anzu stole the key. Anzu then slipped into the control room and stole the computer crystals that ran the spaceport and the astronaut cities in Mesopotamia. He forced Eyre's pilot, Abgal, to take him to the spaceport, there. Anzu's men declared him king of Earth and Mars. He shut down vital services at headquarters, Nibruki and cut communication between Earth and Nibiru. In a spectacular air battle, Ninurta, Enlil and Ninma's son, shoots Anzu down. Ninurta then freed Abgal, captured Anzu and retrieved the crystals. The esteemed council known as the Seven Who Judged, comprising Ea Enki, Damkina Ninki, Marduk Ra, Nana Sin, Enlil Yahweh, Ninma and Ninurta, issued a verdict to execute Anzu, employing a lethal ray as the means. It has been suggested that Nana, Enlil's legal heir and the son of his legitimate spouse, played a significant role in the affair, possibly being the driving force behind Anzu's actions. However, Nana was not subjected to execution, but rather exiled from Ur. After Ninurta, Enlil's firstborn, triumphed over the Igigi rebellion and executed their leader, Anzu, all the Nibiran leaders, including Nana, pledged their allegiance to Ninurta as Enlil's successor on Earth. Previously, Ninurta had only been recognized as Enlil's successor on Nibiru, while Nana held the position of Enlil's successor on Earth as Enlil's son with Sud. With Ninurta now assuming the title of Enlil's foremost warrior, he enforced Enlil's authority over the entire gold extraction, processing and transportation system between Earth and Nibiru. Marduk, however, showed sympathy towards the grievances of the Agiji that had led to their revolt. In response, Enlil commanded Marduk, saying, All right, Marduk, go to Mars and assume command over the astronauts. Ensure their unwavering obedience to me. On Mars, bury Anzu, improve conditions, and restore morale among the Agiji." It is suggested by Mohan's account that Ea's alliance with Damkina, Alalu's daughter, and their son, Marduk, was a calculated part of the scheme. Anzu, who was related to Alalu, was granted access to Enlil's inner sanctuary for energy source crystals, vital computer chips, orbital data panels, and communication control mechanisms between Earth, Nibiru, and Mars, all with the connivance of Ia. Ia proposed that entertaining Anzu would serve as a temporary measure to appease the Igigi's demands. Ishmael Ningishzida had previously pointed out that in the Lost Book of Enki's version of the Agiji Revolt, Anzu's role corresponded to Nana's role as the rightful heir on Earth, being Enlil's son from his half-sister and legal spouse, Sud. Nana's claim posed a challenge to Ninurta, Enlil's firstborn, and designated heir on Nibiru, in terms of succeeding Enlil's command over Earth. Similarly, in The Wars of Gods and Men, Anzu, the leader of the revolt, is depicted as a descendant of Alalu, Albeit in this account, he is an orphan who was adopted by the Mars service rather than the pilot who transported Ea to Earth and remained on Mars to perish alongside Alalu. Both Nana and Ea stood to benefit if Anzu had successfully overthrown Ninurta. However, it was Nana, not Ea, who faced exile in the aftermath of the Igigi rebellion. Anthropologists would recognize Enki's description as reflective of a classical segmentary, patrilineal, agnatic, lineage system. Within such segmentary patrilineages, collateral lines stemming from different mothers form alliances with other royal patrilineages. The Ea lineage, particularly the Marduk line within Ear's lineage, allies itself with the Alalu clan to exert influence against the Enlilites within the Anu clan. In anthropological terms, Marduk's line represents a branch linked to the Alalu clan. Matrophiliated alliances Serve to secure external allies for lineages as they vie for authority within their respective patriclans.
0: The ocean. What? That's it? Fuck. Other people's comments. Okay. So what was it about the volcanoes on Nibiru that kept its atmosphere reliable, and why did it stop? Did the Nibiruans repair their atmosphere with the gold? Doesn't it have to be replenished? What if everyone on Nibiru is dead because the atmosphere was vanquished? Great question. Very possible that life on Nibiru is underground and tough. I have reason to believe Centauri bees inhabited by our red and brown dwarfs. Friends, they abhor BS. Hmm. They're still very much alive. They mined gold from Earth for almost half a million years, and have only been seemingly gone for a couple thousands. The Anunnaki are the ancient gods of every culture, even the Elohim of the Bible. There's always missing gold on Earth. Tons. I just wondered that too. So did they repair their atmosphere? Did did they succeed, I heard? Like in one of these um, podcasts that... uh, It was a crash... Uh, you know, when the gold was being transported to Nibiru. Um, so do they uh, periodically come back and get some more gold to repair their atmosphere? They tried to wipe us out. Anki and the flood, 9,000... 800 BC, Kingdoms of Samaria, Season 4, complete, Boaz Mysteries. 1.1 million views posted four months ago. BOAZ mysteries YouTube channel
3: The following Sumerian texts are some of the most fascinating ever deciphered regarding Enki and the flood. Ryan Mohen has pioneered this research with his grandfather George Mohen, the curator of the Mohen collection in Liechtenstein. It reads as follows: after the deluge, I will return the Sumerian lands beyond the oceans. So did Ninota proclaim this. No, Enlil's firstborn on Earth has a peculiar wish. He wishes for the deluge to survive not in Earth's skies but on the moon. Enki arched his eyebrow. Enlil, though perplexed, gave his approval. Ishkur, the youngest son of Enlil, has decided to remain on Earth with his father. It was decided that Nanna's Earth-born children, Utu and Inanna, would remain. Enki and Ninki chose to remain, and Earth did not abandon their decision. They announced it with pride. Igigi and Sapanit cried out, I will not abandon. Marduk's response was one of anger. One by one, Enki's other sons declared their intention to remain. Nergal and Gibil, Ninagal and Ningishzida, and finally Demuzi. When all eyes were on Ninmah, she proclaimed with pride, "My life's work is here. I will not abandon the human beings I created." Her words infuriated the Anunnaki and Dikiki, who inquired about the fate of the Earthlings. "Let the inhabitants of the Earth perish for their abominations," declared Enlil. Enki exclaimed to Enlil, We have created a marvellous being. It must have been due to our efforts. Enlil responded with his own shouted words. From the beginning, each choice you made was correct. You granted primitive workers procreation and endowed them with knowledge. You hold the powers of the All-Creator in your hands. You subsequently sinned, even by abominations. Adarpa You conceived by fornication. You gave by understanding his lying. You took his offspring to the heavens and imparted them with our knowledge. Every rule you have broken, every command you have disregarded. A brother was murdered because of you, by a civilized earthling brother, because Marduk, your son, the Igigi, intermarried with earthlings, as did he. Who is lordly from Nibiru, and who owns the earth? Enough, enough. Stop listening to me. These outrages cannot continue. Now that a disaster caused by an unknowable fate has been decreed, allow what must occur. Thus did Enlil vehemently proclaim. That all leaders solemnly swear to allow events to transpire following Enlil's demands. Ninurta was the first to take the oath of silence. Others on Enlil's side followed. Nergal, one of Enki's sons, was the first to take the oath, followed by the other. I bow to your command, Marduk said to Enlil. But what value does swearing have? If Igigi's spouses abandon them, will fear not spread among the inhabitants of Earth? Ninmar was in tears, and she whispered the words of the oath. Enlil regarded his sibling Enki. It is the king and council's desire. He addressed him with the following phrase. Why will you swear me to secrecy? Enki's brother Enlil asked. You made the decision. It is a commandment on earth. I can't stop the floodwaters, and I can't save the masses of earthlings. Therefore, to what oath do you wish to bind me? inquired Enki's brother. To let everything transpire as if predetermined by fate, let it be known as Enlil's decision, and let Enlil alone bear the responsibility forever. Enki treated all pronounced identically. Enki then left the assembly, accompanied by Marduk. With immediate commands, Enliling the assembly's call to order resulted in assigning tasks and adopting resolutions. Places of assembly are designated, equipment is gathered, and chariots are assigned to those who will depart and remain. Returning citizens of Nibiru were the first to depart. They boarded the celestial vessels while embracing and arm-locking in both happiness and sorrow. One by one, the Sipa vehicles roared into the air. Initially, those left behind travelled without incident. The screams were first audible, then muffled. After the completion of the launches toward Nibiru, Marduk and the Igigi with earthling spouses took their turns. Marduk gathered them all at the landing place and gave them a choice. With him, Sapanit, two sons and the daughters, Talamu, where disaster awaited, or return to Nibiru with him, Sapanit, two sons and the daughters or to find refuge from the deluge, dispersed to remote mountainous regions on earth. Enlil then considered the survivors and assigned them chariots in groups. Ninurta to the mountainous regions beyond the oceans. Enlil to report on the rumblings of the earth. The White Land assigned Nergal and Eshkigal the duty of keeping an eye on Enlil. Enlil tasked Ishgur with defending against an onslaught of earthlings. Install and fortify a barrier and a bolt to prevent access. Sipar, the place of the celestial chariots, was the focal point of all preparations. The tablets of destiny from Nibru Ki were transferred to Sippar. Enlil creating a temporary bond between heaven and earth. Enki Enlil, his brother, then dressed him, saying, However, if the catastrophe survives, everything that transpired must be remembered. Let us safely bury record tablets in Sipa deep within the earth, so that what has been accomplished from one planet to another will be discovered in the coming days. The words of Enki's brother were received with approval. In the golden chests were kept M.E.s and other tablets. In Sipa, they are interred for posterity in the depths of the earth. Thus prepared, the leaders awaited the departure signal. In its great circuit, the approach of Nibiru was closely monitored. Enki's sister, Ninmar, addressed him during that period of anxious waiting, and Enki told her that Enlil had lost focus due to his preoccupation with humans and all other forms of life. Other living creatures, some of which we recognize from Nibiru and the majority from Earth, will perish when the tidal wave of water sweeps over the land. Let us, you and I, preserve their life-giving essences and extract their vitality for safekeeping. Ninmar, who gave life to Enki's words, said, I will do it in Shuruba, and you will do it with Apsu's living creatures. So to Enki she said, Enki and Ninma took on a difficult task while the others sat idly by. Ninma was assisted in Shurubak by some of her female assistants. Enki was assisted by Ningish Zita in the Abzu at the ancient house of life. The collected male and female essences and life eggs were preserved in pairs of each species in Shurubak and Abzu. The living species must recombine for the duration of the Earth's circuit. At that time Ninurta sent word. The earth's tremors are ominous. At that time Nergal and Arishkigal sent word. The white land is shaken. The Anunnaki congregated at Sipa in anticipation of the day of the deluge. A summary of the Enki dream deluge tablet. Enki dreams that the mysterious messenger appears. Enki is tasked with saving humanity via his son, Ziyusudra. Enki manipulates Ziyusudra to construct a submarine. A navigator arrives on board with the seeds of life from Earth. As Nibiru approaches, the white land ice sheets begins to slide. The resulting tsunami floods the planet with water. The remaining Anunnaki lament the disaster as they orbit the Earth. The waters recede. The boat of Ziyusudra rests on Mount Salvation. Enlil discovers Enki's duplicity while falling into a whirlwind. Enki persuades Enlil that it was predestined by the All-Creator. The surviving landing platform serves as a temporary base of operations. In a creation chamber, plants and animals are created. Gold is discovered in abundance in the lands beyond the seas ancient lands are the site of the establishment of new space facilities. They consist of two manufactured mounds and a lion-shaped carving. Ninmar proposes a peace plan to end the escalating conflict. The Enki Dream Tablet The Anunnaki congregated at Sipa in anticipation of the Day of the Deluge. Lord Enki had a dream vision when anticipation was mounting while he was asleep in his quarters. Enki recognized him as Galzu when he approached him. In his right hand he held a stylus for engraving. He held a gleaming lapis lazuli tablet in his left hand. And as he approached Enki's bed and was able to stand, Galzu said, Your accusations against Enlil were unjustified, for he spoke only the truth and the decision that will be known as Enlil's decision was not made by him, but by fate. The fate of the earthlings is now in your hands, as they will inherit. Bring your son Zeusutra without causing him to break his oath, and let the impending catastrophe be revealed. A boat that can withstand a watery avalanche, a submersible one, of which I am displaying an example on this tablet. Permit him access to save himself and his family. This is the will of the all-powerful creator. And Gozu, in the dream vision, drew an image with the stylus on the tablet and placed it by the side of Enki's bed. Then the image faded, the dream vision ended, and Enki awoke with a shiver. Enki remained in his bed for some time, pondering the significance of his dream vision with awe. What omen did it hold? Then, as he got out of bed, the tablet was there. What he had witnessed physically at his bedside was merely a dream. Lord Enki grasped the tablet with hands trembling. On the tablet he observed a design of an oddly shaped boat. The tablet's edge measurement markings indicated the dimensions of the boat. Lord Enki hurriedly dispatched his envoys at dawn, filled with awe and the desire to find gazu To him I must speak, so he advised them. By evening, everyone had returned and reported to Enki that no one had been able to locate Gazu and that he had long since returned to Nibiru. Enki was especially baffled by the mystery and its portent, which he endeavoured to decipher. Despite his inability to solve the mystery, the message was clear. That night, Enki went to the reed, but not where Zyusutra was sleeping. Not having broken the oath, Lord Enki addressed the hut's wall instead of Zyusutra. Wake up, wake up! Enki addressed the reed wall. He spoke from behind the reed screen. A dreadful storm will ravage all settlements and cities in my words please pay close attention to my directives and adhere enki spoke to Ziusutra from behind the reed screen as the words roused him read hut read hut the human race and its descendants will perish this is the final decision by anu enlil and Ninmah, as determined by enlil's assembly now please pay close attention to what i'm saying and my message abandon your home construct a boat, forego possessions, and save a life. The design and dimensions of the boat you must construct are depicted on a tablet that I will leave by the hut's wall. Ensure the entire boat is covered. The sun must not be visible from within. To survive a wet avalanche, the boat must be able to flip and roll. The tackle and pitch must be solid and tight to repel water. Construct the boat in seven days and invite your family to join you. Food and drinking water pile up on the boat and even domesticated animals bring something. Then, on the appointed day, you will be given a signal. A water-savvy boating guide will be assigned to you and on that day you must board the boat and close its hatch securely. A massive deluge from the south will devastate lands and life. Your boat will be torn from its moorings and tossed about. The boat's captain will lead you to a safe harbour. Only through you will the germ of civilization endure." Ziusudra was dumbfounded when Enki's voice ceased, and he fell to his knees, exclaiming, "'My lord, I have heard your voice. Reveal your face, my lord!' he exclaimed. "'I have not spoken to you, Ziusudra. I have spoken to the reed wall as enki explained i am bound by enlil's decree and the oath that all anunnaki swore if you see my face you will indeed die now Reed shack heed my words my lord enki has annoyed lord enlil i'm sailing to enki's home in the abzu maybe enlil will be appeased The boat's purpose, a closely guarded Anunnaki secret, must be protected. When the citizens ask, you will respond. A period of silence followed. Ziusudra emerged from the barrier of reeds. In the moonlight, he saw and picked up a lapis lazuli tablet. It was depicted as a boat with notches indicating its dimensions. Ziusudra was the wisest of all civilized men he comprehended what he had heard. He proclaimed to the citizens, Lord Enlil was displeased with Lord Enki, my master, and as a result, he was hostile towards me. I will no longer reside in this city or enter the Eden. Instead, I will sail to the Abzu, the domain of Lord Enki. In a boat that must be constructed quickly, I will depart from this place. As a result, the Lord Enlil's wrath will abate, hardships will cease and the Lord Enlil's blessings will shower upon you in the future. People gathered in the vicinity of Ziusudra as the morning was still young. They encouraged one another to construct the boat for him as quickly as possible. Children transported bitumen from the marshes, while elders transported boatwood. As the woodworkers hammered the planks together, the bitumen melted like Zeusutra in a pot. He sealed the interior and exterior of the boat with bitumen. As depicted on the tablet, the boat was completed on the fifth day. The townspeople, eager to see Zeusutra depart, brought food and water to the boat. Their food was taken from them. They were in a hurry to appease Enlil. Additionally, four-legged animals were driven into the boat while field birds flew in independently. Ziusudra, his spouse, and his sons set sail on the boat. Their wives and children also accompanied them. Anyone who wishes to visit the residence of Lord Enki is welcome. Thus Ziusudra declared to the gathered crowd. Imagining Enlil's abundance, only a few artisans responded to the call. Ninogal, lord of the great waters, boarded the ship on the sixth day. Son of Enki, he was chosen as the ship's navigator. He held a cedarwood box in his hands and kept it by his side in the boat. It contained the life essences and life eggs of living creatures, which the lords Enki and Ninmar had gathered, from Enlil's wrath to be concealed, so that life could be resurrected if the earth was willing. Ninagal explained to Zeusudra that every beast in the boat was concealed in pairs. With Ninagal and Zeusudra in the boat, the arrival of the seventh day was now expected. This is the account of the deluge that swept the earth, how the Anunnaki escaped, and how Zeusudra survived in the boat. The deluge was predicted to occur in Shah's 121-year-old year. In the tenth shower of Zeusutra's life, the deluge was approaching, and an avalanche loomed in the constellation of the lion. The earth rumbled and groaned in agony for several days before the deluge. Nibiru was visible in the heavens as a bright star for several nights before the catastrophe. There was darkness during the day, and the moon was consumed by a monster at night. The earth began to tremble because of an unknown force. In the light of dawn, a dark cloud appeared on the horizon. The light of the morning faded as if death's shadow had been concealed. Then there was a thunderclap, and lightning illuminated the sky. Depart, depart! Utu gave Anunnaki the signal. The Anunnaki were elevated to the heavens while crouched in the heavenly ships. The bright eruptions of Ninagal could be seen from 18 leagues away in Shurubak. Button up, closure of the hatch, Ninagal yelled towards Yasutra. They lowered the trap door concealed by the hatch. The boat was completely enclosed and watertight, but a ray of light was able to penetrate the interior. That unforgettable day, the deluge began with a roar. The Earth's foundation shook in the White Land at the Earth's center. The ice sheet then slid off its foundations with the sound of a thousand thunderclaps. It was drawn away by Nibiru's unseen net force and crashed into the South Sea. It was causing one ice sheet to collide with another. The White Land's surface was crumbling like a cracked eggshell. A tsunami appeared out of nowhere, and the sky turned into a wall of water. At the center of the planet an unprecedented storm began to rage. Its winds propelled the wall of water and the tidal wave was spreading northward. The wall of rushing water reached the Abzu lands from the north. It traveled from there to Edin's settled lands. When the tidal wave reached the sea wall, Shurubak arrived. The boat of Ziusudra was dislodged from its moorings by a tidal wave which tossed it about like an abyss of water and swallowed it. The boat remained stable despite being wholly submerged. Not a single drop of water entered. People defeated the storm's wave in a bloody battle. The Anunnaki celestial ships were circling the earth. No one but his fellow man could see, as the ground had vanished and only water remained. Everything that was once on the ground was washed away by them. And.
2: whale. Boat. Remained stable despite being wholly submerged. Not a single drop of water entered. Of events, people defeated the storm it's wave in a bloody battle. The Anunnaki celestial
3: ships were circling the earth, no one but his fellow men, away by the mighty waters. By the end of the day, the watery wall had engulfed the mountains. They squatted, squeezing into the compartments and pressing against the out.
0: During the, walls, the deluge, the Anunnaki
2: circled the earth in trade. their celestial ships. Ninmar, resembling a woman in labor cried out from the celestial ship where she was.
3: My work is comparable to drowned dragonflies in a pond. All life has been eradicated by the crashing sea wave. Thus Ninmar wept and wailed. Inanna, who was with her, also wept and lamented. Everything that once lived there is now clay. Thus did Ninmar and Inanna weep. They cried to alleviate their emotions. In those days, the Anunnaki aboard the other celestial vessels were humbled by the sight of unbridled fury, a force greater than their own. They were famished for the fruits of the planet and thirsty for fermented elixir. Unfortunately, clay's time has passed. As a result of the massive tidal wave that engulfed the earth, the planet was submerged. This is what the Anunnaki said to one another the heavens' drains opened, and precipitation descended upon the earth. The waters from above and the waters of the great below were mixed for seven days. When the water wall reached its limit, the assault ceased. However, the rain continued for an additional forty days and nights. The Anunnaki looked down from their perches and saw a sea of water where once there had been dry land. And where mountains had once reached the heavens, their summits now resembled islands in the ocean, and everything on land that wasn't alive in the avalanche of water perished. Then, as in the beginning, their basin's waters were collected. The water level gradually decreased as it fluctuated day by day. It was a lovely day with a light breeze. Then, forty days after the worldwide deluge, the rains ceased. After forty days, the boat's hatch opened, revealing Zeusudra's location for the survey. The boat was bobbing on a vast ocean, with no other signs of life. All living things, including humans, have been eradicated from the earth's surface. We are among the few survivors, but there is no dry land to step on. So lamented Zeusudra to his relatives as he sat down and wept. Ninogal directed the boat toward the twin peaks of Arata at Enki's command. He constructed a sail for her and steered the vessel toward Mount Salvation. Ziyasudra's impatience led to the release of the birds on board. He sent them to confirm the existence of dry land and surviving vegetation. Both the swallow and the raven he released returned to the boat. He released a dove, which returned with a tree branch. Now Zyusutra was aware that dry land had emerged from the ocean. A few days later the boat by the rocks was captured. The flood is over and we have reached the Mount of Salvation. Ninagal therefore informed Zeusutra. Zeusutra emerged from the boat after the watertight hatch was opened. The sky was clear, the sun shone and a light breeze blew he urgently summoned his wife and children. Let us praise the Lord Enki. Let us give thanks to him. Ziyasutra addressed them. He used the stones gathered from his sons to construct an altar. He sacrificed an unblemished ewe lamb and a ewe lamb to Enki on his altar. Then he lit a fire on the altar and added fragrant incense. At the time Enlil said to Enki from his celestial boat, Let us descend in whirlwinds from the celestial boats upon the peak of Arata to assess the situation and determine what should be done. While the others circled the earth in their celestial vessels, Enlil and Enki descended upon the summit of Arata in whirlwinds. The two brothers met with a smile, their arms interlocked in happiness. Enlil was then perplexed by the aroma of fire and roasting meat. Which is it? his sibling yelled, who has survived the flood. Let us investigate. Enki responded with humility. They flew their whirlwinds over to the opposite peak for Rata. They observed Ziusudra's boat and landed close to the altar he had constructed. Enlil's rage knew no bounds when he saw Ninagal among the survivors. Everyone on earth had to perish. He yelled angrily at Enki and charged him with the intent to kill him with his bare hands. <laughs> My son, he is no mere mortal; he is, according to Ziusudra, Enki cried out. Enlil hesitated for a brief moment. You lied under oath. Toward Enki he yelled. I addressed a reed wall, not Ziusudra. Enki told Enlil about the dream vision. Ninurta and Ninma had already landed in their whirlwinds upon Ninagal's notification. Ninurta and Ninma were not offended by the events described to them. The all-powerful creator desires humanity's survival. Ninurta therefore informed his father. Ninma touched her crystal necklace, a gift from Anu, and swore the annihilation of humanity shall never be repeated. Enlil took them by the hands of Ziusudra and Mzara, his wife, and blessed them. Procreation and multiplication will replenish the earth. Thus ended the ancient era. After the confrontation at Arata, the deluge's waters continued to recede and the face of the earth gradually emerged from beneath the waves. This is the account of how the planet's survival was restored and how a new source of gold and other earthlings beyond the oceans were found. The mountain regions were largely undamaged but the valley